0: Would you turn again to that portion of the word that we read together, and we read our text, uh, chapter 3 and verse 30 of John, He must increase, but I must decrease. Now in recently, and I know that all were not there. Of course, on a Thursday night, we looked at this text, and we considered the first part of it, he must increase. And uh, we saw how that could not be regarding his passion, that we cannot say that often. So we looked and considered how he could uh, increase, and the idea of increasing, and the idea of honoring him, and we saw how that happened, and John was uh, preaching this and wanted to emphasize this, that uh, he would be honored above all else, that Christ would have the glory in all that he did in himself. We read about him and said that never... Man speak like this man. But heed that he was different from others and that he spoke, they even said that he spoke with authority and not as the scribes. We saw that he was performing many miracles, and some people said we never saw it on this fashion before. And we also considered, was there any way that we would have a part in this uh Increasing of Christ or living. We saw that it was very much for us to live to his glory and to say, Not unto us, not unto us, Lord, but do thou glory take unto thyself. And we saw then that nothing can really prevent in any way whatsoever can prevent the Increase of the Lord, indeed, this church. We sometimes fret at the state of the church in this world, but we have to remember that the church never decreases, never. It is always increasing. And while it may look in this world that it is getting smaller, it is not. The church is being added to. A vast majority, I'm sure, already probably have gone home to be with the Lord. They are still part of the church. And in that way, that should be ever an encouragement to us. And so we see then here that he must increase, but John says I must decrease. And John is an example here then to us of how the Christian should be, and may I say particularly those, if we look at John as, if you like, a minister who was preaching in his day, he had a great following, as many ministers sometimes do, and particularly nowadays, with so many having access to preaching throughout the whole world on the internet, and they are great following, not just in their own congregations, but Uh, They have um, huge congregations of people following online. And in that way, they seem to be at times, and there's nothing wrong in some ways with that, but we have to be careful that we are not glorifying men and not glorifying God. And so we see here that John had a great desire for this. He had a great following himself, but his heart's desire was, that he would become nothing, that he would fade into the background. Yes, he had a particular place, and the Lord spoke about him, about how great he was, and he was the forerunner. But now here has come the one who is proclaimed, he himself proclaimed, as behold the Lamb of God. You see, John had done his duty. The Baptist had done what was required of him as the forerunner. We read in Daniel something of that. Daniel twelve says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars for ever and ever. And how apt that is of John the Baptist. For this was a man who was used mightily. By God. So that was fulfilled, surely, that prophecy in Daniel 12, fulfilled in John the Baptist. Well, then, let us then consider these last few words, but I must decrease. First of all, to see the great desire of John, whichever should be the desire of every single Christian. We have said, as we saw, the other side of the increase, you know, here is the other side of the coin, if you like. It wasn't just that John just desired Christ to be honored, and he did, of course, but honored and increased at his expense. He didn't want to be taken any glory to himself. I must decrease. This was his great Desire. He didn't want to be in any way whatsoever compared to the Christ that he now preached. He had no aspiration, ambition at all to be seen in any way to be compared with the Christ that had now come on the scene. You see, here's an example, friends, of a humble man. Here's an example of stamping pride underfoot. is another example for us all? How we struggle with our own pride so often, even as Christians, and especially sometimes as Christians. But here is a man now, he is giving us a perfect example. Notice as well that John's disciples, in verse 26, they didn't seem to be very happy with this new situation. You speak about Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness. Behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. The disciples were not happy, it seemed, that he now this Jesus had come, and was taking maybe the glory and the place away from John, not at all happy with it. And so they were complaining to John. But here he is now, willing, with genuine humility, not to have that place. And so he goes on to speak to them, as we saw the other night, how we speak to them about the importance of the bride and the bridegroom. Now, for you and I, if we are here today and we profess to be Christians, especially ministers, but not exclusively, what a problem bride can be for us all. Someone, anyone sometimes, being more to the fore than ourselves. You see, friends, sometimes it can be so easy for us to to parade our own knowledge. Our so-called holiness of life. Outwardly, there's so much of that with us. But with John, there was nothing of that. Pride, as is well illustrated in the parable of the Lord. Remember when he told of the man who, who had taken the top seat, the top table seat, and then told to take a lower place. Pride, friends, is a snare. And I am sure, I, indeed I can be sure, that even from the youngest child to the oldest person here, pride is in our lives in one way or another. And there is nobody more proud than the person who says, I don't have any problem with pride. It is there, friends, in one way or another with all. It's a snare for us. You know, I wonder, friends, maybe people give you a place in this congregation, in the community. I wonder how people would think of you or I if they saw us when we were, as it were, out of sight. How would people see us then? How do we see ourselves? Would they think differently of us? You see, friends, who often worldliness and who often self-esteem cannot hinder not only our witness and profession, but also have symptoms, as it were, more to the fore than even our saviour. How we need to be careful how we portray ourselves. It was nothing of that here with John. Here is a picture, and he did more than that, of true heartfelt humility. A lovely man, a lovely picture of how we should be. And friends, the duty and responsibility of all God's people is to seek after this humility. And we need to seek after it. It doesn't come naturally to us, if we're honest. With ourselves. And to be seen. To live. And to be humble. In the world around us. In many ways I suppose we can say. That. Those of us here who are a proud Christian. That's a contradiction in itself. We need. That humility of spirit. We need to seek. To decrease. We need to exalt Christ. And in some ways, even friends, we should see ourselves less than even those around us. The duty and the responsibility of God's people is to seek after humility. It's a mark, surely, of the believer. It's not an option. It's not an option for us. It is required of us. It should come with, if we know anything about that, knowing us, we shall see, coming to know Christ, how can we be anything else but humble at the thought of all that? When we think of John's a good example, but of course there's a better example, there's Christ himself. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. When you consider the depth of his humiliation, when you think, consider him taking our nature and in our nature dying our death and being subjected to what he was subjected to at the hands of sinful men. And how he lived his life in this world, when he appeared as a man in this scene of time, that he laid aside the symbols of his glory, took on him the form of a servant, the Son of God. Given himself for us. As a man, he humbled himself. Humility, friends, was a constant uh, characteristic that was seen in every step of his life in this world. He didn't seek after that high honor. It was delighting to do the Father's will. And though, In that, still the divine passion, of course, in this world, in this life, he put himself into that condition of obedience to the Father at all times. And John the Baptist understood this. He understood, as we saw earlier in our time, more than the disciples, obviously. He understood, he knew who Christ was. He understood his position, his own position, and how Christ should be seen and viewed by all. He understood perfectly who was now before him and who he was now pointing to. And the proclamation, his preaching up to then, spoke of Christ. And now, having come, he realizes, I must decrease. Take your eyes off me. Look to the other. Look to Christ. He must decrease, for the light of the world had now come. Why should they? Why should you, as it were, would say, "Look at me any longer"? Must we saw that word as the idea of ought? No question about it. It had to be. Nothing and no one else was to take the glory. Nothing and no one else was to take away from the glory that should belong to the Lord. And that again, friends, is a lesson for ourselves. To, And it is a struggle at times not to elevate ourselves. It's a struggle keeping ourselves from If you like, sadly, if I can use the term showing off what we know and who we are and what we have learned and how we are living. John here knew who Christ was and he desired nothing but his glory. And the way that he saw it here was, I, who maybe have been, as it were, to the fore in the eyes of so many who had gathered with him. Up till then, I want to disappear. I want to become as nothing. Here was the one who had been preaching before. He had been preaching, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Words, by the way, that even the Lord Jesus himself used later. And now, behold, the Lamb of God. And he knew, as we have it, and he would know a scripture, as we have it in Isaiah 42. My glory will I not give to another. Oh, he understood that. You know, friends, how good it would be if we had more of that spirit. Seeking to be low, not just in the eyes of the word, of course, but to remember that God's eye is upon us. Here is this John again. Remember his humility in elsewhere. What does he say? I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose the latchet of his shoes. The most menial of a servant's duty. And that is all, so, it tells you something of even that basic duty that the lowest servant would do for someone who was a master in his house. And he now sees, not even worthy to do that, he desires nothing but that all eyes would be upon Christ. And undoubtedly, in doing this and saying this, he obviously undoubtedly would see himself For what he was. Yes a preacher of the gospel. Yes the forerunner. But surely in saying here as well. He is recognizing his own sinnership. And that he was an unworthy sinner. And sinner saved by grace. And friends just like everyone else. Who has ever had their eyes open. Surely that should be, we are as well. well. Is this then, Mark, Christian, I ask you today, as I ask myself, in preparing this message, is this a mark that's evident in your own life? People might say, oh, he's a Christian. I know, yes, he's a Christian. Yes, she's a Christian. They say, ah, Yes, she's a Christian, and you can tell how they learn. Can you tell on their humility of life? Can you tell on them the way that they are humble in themselves? Was it not, then, friend, the day that you saw Jesus Christ for who he was? What did you see at the same time? You must have seen something of who you were in the same time. And you saw yourself then, Christian, did you not? In a different light to how you saw yourself before. Or oh, the reality then of what it was to be a lost sinner and to see Christ now must increase. I must decrease a sinner saved by grace. And surely that pride going out the window Surely that should be true of us all. That's how it should be with us all. So, Christian, the more you desire to humble yourself, the greater vision and understanding you will have of who Christ is and what Christ has done for you. It is important for us to know and to understand this. Yes, so, well, I'm a Christian. Indeed, and bless God for that. But is that evidence, evident in your life, that desire within your own heart? You know your own heart, and only the Lord knows your own heart, and you know something of it as well. Others around you don't know it. But in your own heart, not just as others see you either, although that's important, in your own heart, do you know something of this humility. That was John's, his great desire. Now, secondly, just to mention some uh, others in scripture that we have to show something of this um, desire as well to decrease. And we could mention many, but just to confine ourselves to a few, of course, the Apostle Paul. Where do we see his life so often? For this godliest, great godliest and most faithful follower and lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if anyone had ever reason to boast, did he not? Did he not say himself that he was a Philippians 3, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of heresy, full of zeal, persecuting the church of Hoseon? What did he say when some were seeking to elevate him? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Who is Cephas? We are nothing, he saying. We are nothing at all. He was showing that spirit of John, surely. And Paul knew, as John did, a man can receive nothing of himself except be given him from heaven, verse 27. He knew that. And, oh, yes, some were looking to Paul as they were to John the Baptist. They were seeking to elevate him in many ways. Not that he is not worthy of honor. But what again does he say elsewhere? Oh, he says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. There's a humble man. What does he say elsewhere? I am the least of the apostles. Friends. There is a spirit that you and I should seek after in our lives as we go on. Oh, well, you may say even today, well, I'm not a proud person. But do we not often think that But is it really true of us? Now, of course, proud, being proud in every Christian life, as we all struggle with, whoever we are, by the way, here today, pride is behind much of what we are. And the Christian, it's a struggle. But we have to recognize it in our lives. To be able to fight against it. Have you ever felt then your nothingness in your heart? So like like the publican is another example. Cry from the depth of your soul, not dare it lift his eyes to heaven. Lord be merciful to me, a sinner. That's decreasing Surely as well. So you got Paul, you got others. you got Peter. Remember Peter, oh, proud Peter, whatever else. Pride comes across so often in Peter's life. Remember the time, just one example, when he stated when the Lord Jesus went to go and fish on the other side and and uh, he asked him to fish in a certain way, but Peter came across as well as if he knew best. And he came again. To acknowledge what is he say, Oh depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And you identify with that at any time in your own life. Think of the prodigal son. Think of the centurion who exclaimed, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Great examples of those who would put their amen to John's profound utterance here. Someone has said that humility is a strange thing. The moment that you think you have acquired it is just the moment you've lost it. Humility is a strange thing. The moment that you think you've acquired it is just the moment you've lost it and so we need to examine our own lives. Let us beware of false humility. That is nothing but a satanic type of pride that we have. I was reading about, maybe I'm sure many will have heard the story of uh, George Whitfield. at the time of uh, the Wesleys around, and the Wesleys were Good men, without question, godly men, but they had an uh, Arminian tendency in their preaching. And some people were very critical of them as if they weren't real Christians at all. And um Whitfield was out walking with somebody one day, another man. And that conversation turned round to this. This man was uh, speaking about Wesley, not in the best way at all. And uh Whitfield wasn't saying very much to him, but then the man said, "When we get to heaven, Mr. Whitfield, do you think we'll see John Wesley there And Whitfield replied, "'No, I don't think so." And the man sort of was justifying himself then in his thought, but then Whitfield went on to say. I fear not, we won't see him, but he'll be so near the throne that we'll be at such a distance we can hardly get a sight of. Humility, friends. Something surely that we should desire for ourselves. Thirdly and finally, ourselves. Our greatest reason for Humility for decrease. The idea of making lower in the sense of becoming less. Interesting, by the way, that this word decrease is the only place we have it in our English Bibles. It is nowhere else uh, used. Well, first of all, and above every other reason, if you know anything of Christ, and if you are here today and know Anything of what he has done for you, the cost of your salvation, what he suffered to save your oh so sin-corrupted soul. Ah, saved sinner here today, how can you ever speak a word except, I must decrease. God be merciful to me, a sinner. That are a Christian here today, it is only by the grace of God you have been redeemed. And through that blessed blood, you have been washed. And it's good to remember that at all times. That itself surely, friends, would keep us, as it were, in our place. When you think of even holy angels who have never sinned, never had an ounce of pride, and nevertheless we rid of them that they veil their faces in the presence of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, they cry. Even unfallen, never having sinned angels. They know they know their place and how they ought to be. And when we realize and remember and think upon us we should maybe far more than we do, think upon. What we were, poor, wretched, lost sinners. And when we think of the wonder of the salvation that has been wrought for us, the salvation that is observed, yes, going back to the angels, observed with astonishment by the angels, to note that they are things that the angels desire to look into, we are told in Peter. Angels desire to look into because they're astonished at it, that the sufferings of Christ, that the Son of God would suffer, would humble himself in the way that he did. Truly, friends, when we think about that, the great mystery of redemption, that the angels look into, the salvation by Christ. How much more should we then seek to decrease and be humble in our lives? When we deserve nothing. And isn't that what you've come to realize. If you're a Christian here today. You've come to realize that. You're a wretched sinner deserving nothing. But the wrath of God. And yet what have you found. The mercy. And the loving kindness. Undeservedness. Of the Lord. Oh friends how dare we then. Be anything but. In the spirit of John. I must. Decrease. Another writer has put it this way Better be a humble worm than even a proud angel. Better be a humble worm than a proud angel. And surely we can say that being a proud Christian, as I said before, it doesn't, these are opposites, surely. In everything, When we remember that it was pride and seeking increase that made some angels devils, how we should be aware, friends, of ourselves, our walk and conversation every day of our lives. We have every reason to humble ourselves. Well, then, what can we say to all this in conclusion? What then should be true of you and I, and the longer we go on, especially in our walk with Christ in the Christian faith, well, this surely we should be growing, Ah, but not up, but down. That should be the mark in our lives. That doesn't mean to say that we remain as were, as Scripture speaks about being babes in the sense of well, I'm saved and that's it. We should be growing in knowledge and we should be growing in grace and we should be seeking to grow more Christ-like. But at the same time, that means not up, but a growth down. It is out, decreasing. And you know very well that there is no better place to observe our blessed Savior and understand enough than understanding of what he is and what he has done for us, than to be on the knees of our souls, looking at you and confessing your sins and asking that he would keep us and keep us humble. You see, friends, we have to be like John. John wanted to be in the shadow. And in the shadow, he wanted to be there so Christ would shine and the sun of righteousness would be seen by every single eye. And he could say, not unto us, Lord, but do thou glory take unto thyself. Was that not something of what John then came to observe? The glory of Christ. He was nothing compared to the one he had been speaking about and the one who now was in their presence. You see, Christ had to have the first place in his life. And you cannot be a Christian except you still have Christ the first place in every area of your life. You see, the best place for a Christian is anywhere but the first place. Christ must always have the preeminence and the glory in every area of life. Well, there's no doubt that the devil comes, so often he comes to the Lord's people and whispers at times, well, didn't you do well? Haven't you done well? Aren't you a good Christian? You're much better than him. Far better than that woman there. That's of the devil himself, friends. We all know what that can be like. And whatever you think, and maybe you can be discouraged at times when you realize this as well in your own life. But believe me and be encouraged by it. You won't be the first he has told it to, and you won't be the last either. But we have to strive, and yes, strive, friends. Uh, in one sense, to John, he was such of a lovely spirit. It didn't seem to be a, a difficult thing for him to do. But sadly, for many of us, it can be to humble ourselves in the way that we ought to. But we should seek to take our leaf out of John the Baptist's And say he must increase. But I must decrease. But what about you here this morning. Still without Christ. Why is it? Well in many ways I would have to say it's because. You are depending upon yourself. And that's pride. Your own perceived goodness. And your own idea that some or other, you'll be accepted by God. That's pride. And until you have the spirit of John the Baptist, you will not only not see your own spiritual lost state, You neither will you see Christ in the way that you should. The two things go together. You have to see yourself as a sinner. And nothing to be proud of. And to see Christ as a saviour. Who is worthy of all the increase. You humble yourself. Not even at the feet of John the Baptist. But at the feet of Christ. And there friend, you will see. Your need. And his suitability. As your Savior. So, whoever we are here, the unbeliever still very much is under the heel of pride in his life. The Christian is still very much fighting with pride in your life. Is there anyone here who's a believer today who denies that? I would like to think not, but that surely would put into question what you are and what you profess. Let us pray. O blessed Lord, help us to humble ourselves before thee, to realize our nothingness and our lostness, to realize, O Lord, our need of being kept, and to be kept at thy footstool, all of us humbling ourselves. What a wonderful thing it would be if we were indeed of that spirit of John. What a blessed way to be and what hope that would give us to look unto Christ anew and to desire nothing above his glory. For his name we ask it. Amen.